Good morning. This Bible reading this morning comes from the book of Luke 1, verses 57 to 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the fifth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbours. And all these signs were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of the enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of a tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And we're also reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, from verse 8. Jesus is coming. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of his book. John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. 
but a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, and the sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Here is the reading. Thanks very much for reading for us. Uh, if you need a brain break, then maybe stand up, turn around, sit down, if that's you. Uh, the rest of us will all sit and watch, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, up you get. There we go. Excellent. Good. Uh, let's pray as we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing Word uh, that draws us into your story. Uh, we thank you for the Bible that reads us as we read it. And I pray that you would be amongst us today as we open it up together. In Jesus' name, amen. For Christmas, school is out. We're in a new house as of this week. Uh, and there seems to be an endless list to get through before Christmas actually arrives and holidays kick in. Christmas time includes family visits, celebrations... And we need to picture a family that is in full party mode. And I think this time of year, you can birth. It is not quite Christmas yet, uh, but it is all about a baby. And it's a boy. And this is the day that my son was born. Go to this photo here. Uh, and we're both looking a little bit younger. Uh, but there's something about this passage that just reminds me of this day. Uh, and so if you have a Bible or one of these outlines handy, uh, today together. Uh, and so from verse 57, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. Every family culture is different when it comes to childbirth. When our son was born, 
we had a few people come and visit the hospital room and it was all fairly carefully scheduled. Uh, and I, but I can remember a very large family down the corridor from us uh, and there was about 20 of them and they were all like coming out of the room. Uh, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, all very emotional and very loud. Uh, and it was quite the contrast between the two families. Uh, but walking past, you couldn't help but sense this contagious buzz coming from that room. There was great rejoicing in the family. So verse 58, her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they rejoiced with her. So you need to understand that if Zach and Lizzie had arrived at the hospital and asked for the maternity ward, the triage nurse would have done a double take at that point because they were quite old. And, and, and over the many years previous, they had given up on that dream of having children. They'd lived the pain of childlessness. And it's something that would have hit hard every time it's mentioned, like a punch in the stomach. And for those times... Uh, being barren would have been a source of great heartache and despair and your very future was on the line. But yet here they are with a baby, just as the angel had foretold to Zechariah in the temple, all recognise that God has been merciful to them. It's an astonishing kindness, a wondrous act of compassion and there's great wonder to share in. So if we look at verse 59, the family all gather together to circumcise the baby. Uh, that is all done according to Jewish culture on the eighth day after his birth. And naming the child is part of the practice. And it says they would have called him Zachariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he should be called John. And you wonder what is so special about this name, John. This is personal for me. Uh, when I was born, there was wider family expectation that was the opposite here. Uh, I should have been called John. My dad is called John, and his dad is called John, and his dad is called John, and his dad is called John, and it goes back seven generations. I'm so proud of my parents for breaking the curse. <laughs> Uh, but I still have it. Uh, it, is, it is my second name, and that's used when you're telling me off. Andrew John, that, yeah, that gets my attention usually. Uh, so I broke the curse of John, um, but I also have a nephew whose name is Zachariah John. So I kind of connect with this story. Uh, imagine the pressure on Elizabeth here. Uh, that might not be all too difficult at Christmas time to manage, you know, manage the family expectations uh, and verse 61, they said to her, none of your relatives is called by that name. I take that as being a fairly blunt pushback from the family. It's cultural tradition not to be messed with, uh, and so they are not content with the mum, so they seek a ruling from dad uh, with the power of veto. Is that how it works in your household? Uh, I'm not sure about mine, but uh, verse 62, they made signs to his father... I don't know how that worked, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Now, it's not clear whether Zachariah is deaf as well as mute, but I rather like to think that the mob is so worked up and emotional that they've forgotten that Zachariah can actually hear. And so they wave at him like, yeah, they're crazy. Anyway, so get in the story. Fortunately, Zachariah's ready 
and he asks for his Surface Pro with a stylist to give the answer. Well, yeah, it's there in verse 63. He asks for a writing tablet. There it is. And his name is John. And they all wondered. Uh, the name Johannes uh, might be familiar to you. It's from the Greek. I think it's a translation from the Hebrew, Johannan, uh, which means the Lord is gracious. And so Zechariah just repeats what the angel had told him. These people are unaware of what Gabriel had, Gabriel had said. And so it, for us, we can see it's really God who names him, just as he names Jesus. And we can see that God is at work. So the Lord's hand is at play here. There's even more amazement and expectation. Zachariah's released to pray has touched their lives. News travels far and wide. What was a rebuke to Zachariah from the angel for his disbelief turns into another spectacular talking point. The whole countryside finds out what's been going on. They heard all this and kept it in their hearts. It's treasured. And so their expectation is to might happen next. It all seems to revolve around this baby in verse 66. The Lord is surely going to do something great with him. And we'll come to that in a moment. But for now, let's just ask, how's your sense of wonder? I wonder if you know this book. They say Aslan is on the, on the move, said the beaver. The beaver had spoken these words. Everyone felt quite different. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump on the inside. Edmund felt a sense of uh, mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling that you have when you wake up in the morning and realise it's the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. And likewise for you and me, you're invited into this story to share the wonder, to ask yourself, what, this, what could this mean for me? To come and see what God has done in Luke's carefully... We need to read Luke as if it's a, he's an investigative reporter uh, going to eyewitness accounts. And that's what we're reading. And then to have your mouth opened like Zacharias was too, to, as you give credit to God for the honour and glory that he deserves. So we need to share in the wonder. Well, it come, when it comes to uh, movies, I'm especially interested in the soundtrack. Uh, I really love the music of John Williams. Uh, so he com composed the score for lots of films. Uh, Hook, Jaws, Indiana Jones, most of the Star Wars films. Uh, you sometimes get to know a composer so well uh, that you can hear their sound even in a different movie. Uh, our family was watching Home Alone the other day and I'm hearing Harry Potter and E.T. in, in there as well. Uh, and in some ways, those are like a symphony. Listen carefully and you can hear themes get reincorporated and expanded and varied along the way. The climax of the movie approaches, it all converges. And it's the same with the Bible. See, the climax is coming, and we're at this point where the music is going nuts, and it's speaking of our rescuer. See, Zechariah breaks his silence. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, enabled to speak God's word, and he blesses God before he blesses his son. And so we'll look at the, another connector 
in God's great symphony of grace. And you might notice there that there's some past themes echoed in this song. And Scott's really done a great job of highlighting that for the kids. It's part of the soundtrack to the Bible that's been working steadily towards this crescendo. Uh, Just like Mary's song declaring who God is, what he has done, and glorifying in him. And it touches on these high points through Israel's history. It declares God's faithfulness to his people from Abraham all the way through his descendants, narrowing in on this one to come. So the story of the Bible always been about grace, but now you can imagine Zechariah holding his newborn. Uh, But his focus is elsewhere, isn't it? He sings of Jesus the Messiah as he holds John the the messenger. And look at how psalm-like it is. It's like reading the psalms in the Old Testament. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Like Mary's prophecy, this speaks as if it's happened already. And you, know, you and I know that it has, but for Zachariah's community, they wouldn't have had a clue what was to come. And I think for Zachariah, it's like his, his nine months or so have been searching the scriptures, listening to them on the train or whatever, listening to God's symphony of grace, connecting all the themes together, and then responding with his own song of praise. Uh, the horn of salvation, we, we saw a different translation just before, mighty saviour, it's this symbol of power, like the horn on an animal, uh, like a rhino, where all its power is directed. And you see that in Psalm 18, uh, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge, he is my shield and the horn of my salvation. It may, it's talking about God being my offence and my defence my protector, my place of ultimate safety. But he's also got power to attack as well. And where is God's strength directed? Where does he send his, his attack? It's a, in salvation, made possible by the descendant of King David, who is the focus. He is the pointy part of God's strength. He is a powerful saviour, a mighty saviour indeed. And notice how Zechariah speaks of rescue from their enemies over in, uh, well, look at verse 71. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Israel had enemies. They were living under occupation at the time. Uh, And at this stage, Herod the Great was ruler over Judea. You know, the murderous tyrant of Christmas, obsessed with power. Uh, I read somewhere that he even murdered some of his own children. And we know from Matthew's gospel uh, that he was prepared to murder other people's children as well. See, the the Christmas story has a dark side. And I think the questions at the time would have been significant. Would would Israel ever be free of Herod or the empire? Would God ever come and rescue them? And it picks up what you encounter in the Psalms, a cry for, for deliverance from very real enemies. But who is their ultimate enemy? See, the reason they had ended up being exiled and only restored in part was because of their constant rebellion against God. 
their sin in breaking covenant with him. And that brought about his judgment. And we learnt, we learnt last week, didn't we, that reading the Old Testament is like looking in a mirror. It's like looking at your life uh, being acted out in reality. Our ultimate enemy is not in a person or a nation. Our greatest enemy is within. It's our sin and it's death which follows it. So this salvation, our rescue from sin, can only be achieved through God's mercy and God's provision. The Jewish leaders at the time got it all wrong. They were looking for a political revolution, not realising that a spiritual problem eclipses a political one every time. The rise of the Messiah brings victory over the dark side of sin and death. I wonder what John Williams would do with this. And it's the greatest victory that there ever was. And it's a victory that you can share in. Because here's the offer to you and me of eternal life because of what Jesus did on that cross for you. Because of his great triumph over our greatest enemy. And this isn't God's fallback plan. Uh, This was always what was intended. This is part of his symphony of grace. This is saying... These ancient predictions of covenant, uh, God's oath, they are fulfilled in Jesus. God's mercy promised through the ages, now culminating in this pre-Christmas carol from Zechariah. And you might be thinking, well, that's all very good, Andy, uh, but what is the point for here and now, for my life? Well, actually, you're, you're included here. God is calling you here to serve him without fear. Uh, you might have picked the problem there. Uh, if you can remember from last week, Mary, in Mary's song, it said that God's mercy, really, it's only for those who fear him. <laughs> but now it's saying you need to serve without fear. You see the contradiction. Which is it? Well, there are two kinds of good and acknowledges your need. Uh, the other lives in fear of ever doing enough to please God. And it's all dependent on you. And it's a place of worry that forgets God's grace in your life. Verse 75, we serve in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. The Heavenly Father has a life for you in connection with Jesus. One that follows him, that reflects him and honours him as your Lord. He is the Saviour who deserves your service. The Apostle Paul knew that. He said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. God's purpose for you is that you would live before his gaze. Honour him with all that you are, wherever you are, at school, at home, with your family, on Christmas Day. See, humbly submitting to his authority and living for his glory. So how does this great symphony of asking more than simply, how do I fit God into my life? But rather, how do I fit into God's plans for me? Why do I serve? Am I reliant on his grace? Or am I living as if he doesn't accept me already? Those are really important questions that each of us need to ask ourselves. Zachariah here proclaims how it was how it is, how it will be, past, present, future, all because God has sent Jesus. It's a symphony of grace from beginning to end. 
One of our favourite uh, Christmas traditions is to go and see some Christmas lights. I don't know if anyone else does that. Uh, we've just moved house, so there's a whole new suburb to go and explore. Uh, so we might need to do that a bit later. When our kids were a bit younger, uh, you really notice when it's just not dark enough uh, and the contrast makes the 50 gazillion lights really stand out. I also really look for a proper nativity that's set up uh, because for me, the real story contrasts with the sometimes ludicrous sentimentality that's out there with Christmas. I want the real thing. And what we're reading today ought to stick out to us. Just when you might be tempted to think that Christmas revolves all around the tinsel and the toys and the trinkets, there's a baby to celebrate who is the true light of the world. So having looked up, Zachariah now looks down at verse 76. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on... To before the Lord, to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. In the silence of 400 years without a prophetic voice has been shattered, the darkness interrupted by God's word coming in, the angel. He's spoken through Elizabeth to Mary and through Mary and through Zechariah and he has this purpose for John too and you and, you and me too. He, he, John will be part of the opening prelude to the main event. Through the forgiveness of your sins, highlight that. Because that is at the heart of the gospel and we need to keep coming back to it. every single one of us. We all deserve the consequences from a holy God who rightly judges sin. And our contemporary culture really makes light of it. Melbourne has a deadly sins cafe uh, and there's somewhere around the place which is an original sinner's pizza place, which, you know, it's it's joke, but sin matters, and you can't excuse it or rationalise it away. And we need to have a far more serious view of it. You need to own your failure and your wretchedness and seek the only remedy. The 19th century evangelical J.C. Ryle wrote this, there is a remedy revealed for humanity's need. We need not be afraid to look at sin and study its nature, its origin, its power, its extent, its vileness, if we only look at the same time at the almighty medicine provided for us in the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. We can be obsessed with sin sometimes without looking to the remedy that's also there. So we do need to keep these things balanced. But there is mercy. We can be so closed in on ourselves that we don't even see it. We need to see what God is saying about who we are and, and our neediness and see what he's done. And so that was to be John's message. It is our core message at, Christ, at Christmas too. God's steadfast love has been revealed in Jesus Forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And that is good news. And look, it says, because of the tender mercy of our God. Isn't that beautiful language? The tender mercy is, is like God's inner affection for you. His compassion, his steadfast love. That is greater than our sin. By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet 
into the paths of peace. He is the light from heaven the darkness will not overcome. He is the star of Jacob, the root and offspring of David, the morning star, the son of righteousness, the prince of peace, the horn of salvation, a mighty saviour. All these promises past culminate in him. It has always been the theme of Jesus being played to the tune of grace. And now he's come. John's role was to point to Jesus. Uh, There's some great things to learn from John the Baptist's life, but that is the most important thing. He becomes this wilderness preacher, uh, calling people to repent, prepare for the Lord's coming. He's a lead player in the symphony of grace. Uh, And if you really think about it, compare the pair, John and Jesus, two Jewish boys on a mission from God, uh, the messenger and the Messiah, both have astonishing birth stories, both are prophesied over, both grow, become strong. One is remarkable and pretty unusual. The other are unique and utterly miraculous. They both die a gruesome death, but there's only one of those deaths that was on behalf of you and me. Only one dealt with sin once and for all, and the grave couldn't contain him. See, Jesus is central to all of God's purposes for you and me, God demonstrates his love in this, in what uh, Jesus did for you, uh, from 1 John. Love consists in this, not that we've loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Zechariah discovered that, his mouth unleashed in praise and adoration for what God did and promised, and he saw his part to play. And John's role was to be all about Jesus, whose sandals he was unworthy to untie, who must increase and be first in every way. And that is our job, you and me, as Christians too, as a church, to point to Jesus and then get out the way. And I've needed to reflect on this a lot in my life, to stop trying to be Jesus because you cannot be omnipresent and all-powerful and all-knowing and actually start being a lot more like John the Baptist, to point to the Saviour rather than trying to replace the Saviour. I think that's a really important message. But let's wrap wrap this up. Who might you share this wonder with in your life and respond to God's good news of salvation? Perhaps that's you even today. Have you heard this song of Jesus that is calling you to repent, to own up to living for yourself and for your glory, your sin, and to approach the throne of grace and cast yourself on God? And we heard that from that reading in the very last chapter in the Bible, in Revelation. He is offering a gift of thirst-quenching water, life-giving water uh, that will never end. His redeeming grace is for you and me. The light has dawned. Jesus the Messiah has come.